Uh, we're going to be looking in First uh, Chronicles 13 this evening, uh, teaching a little uh, uh, lesson message about David. So First Chronicles chapter 13, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into our lesson. First uh, Chronicles chapter 13. And God's word says, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at in the days of Saul, required not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering in of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath Jerim. And David went up in all Israel to Bala, that is Kirjath Jerim which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Ohio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand, to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom and his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your wonderful word that we can study and that we can get truth from, that we can apply to our life, Lord, and just learn of you and learn of your ways and learn... Uh, your will for our life and how you direct us, Lord. And we just thank you so much for your precious word and how it can affect our lives so we can live for you the way you want us to live for you, Lord. And we pray. Amen. So tonight we're studying First uh, Chronicles 13, uh, focusing on David and then the transporting of the ark uh, and the, how, about, how they went about doing that and, and the different things that had to do with that. So the title of our lesson tonight is Your Way or God's way, your way, or God's way. You know, we can handle problems, we can handle situations, you know, we can make decisions in a couple of different ways. You can either rely on man's wisdom, or you can rely on your own judgment, your friends perhaps, or you can rely on the Lord. You can rely on His wisdom, you can rely on His judgment, you can wait for His guidance and His direction and wait to sense his will in making that decision. Well, in our passage, we'll be studying, we are going to see people that did things their way, to handle situations their way, that made decisions based on their assessment of the facts, their assessment of the situation, that consulted men rather than God, that did not follow God's word 
on how to do certain things, the specific ways he commanded how to handle or how to do certain things. They did not follow that. And we'll see the very poor, disappointing, and deadly consequences that happen as a result of doing things their way, of going by their wisdom, of doing what seemed right in their eyes instead of what was right according to God. So whose eyes is it right? And I want you to kind of keep that thought in the back of your mind as we, we dig into our, our lesson tonight. And uh, I know I'm always telling stories about my kids, but here we go again. Uh, uh, this morning, Ava was getting, uh, getting you know, ready, and you know, Mama was wanting to do her hair all fancy and you know, curls and, and all this kind of stuff with her hair. And she just happened to walk past me. I said, your hair looks really pretty this morning, Ava. And it was just all straight and hanging, hanging down. And so from that point on, she wouldn't let Mama touch her hair. That was it. it. But Daddy likes my hair this way, and that's all that mattered. It didn't matter for, for curls. It didn't matter anything. A bow. She wanted nothing. She said, Daddy likes my hair this way, so you're not touching it, Mama. It's done. We're, and it was just simply combed. That was it. It was just, just hanging down. So uh, I, just, I, I think that's neat how they just they look up to you, and they just... That please daddy, so that, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and that got me thinking about, or listen, are we trying to please our Heavenly Father with things we do? Or are we just trying to look out for ourselves and please ourselves with the things we do? Whose eyes is it right in? Is it right in the Lord's eyes? Is it right in my eyes? Am I pleased myself or am I pleasing the Lord? So look at verses 3 and 4 again. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul, and all the congregation said that they would do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So whose eyes are our actions right in? And whose eyes are our decisions right in? Whose eyes are what we do, the actions we take? Whose eyes are they right in? Are they right in our friends' eyes, our family's eyes? Are they right or appear right in the world's eyes? Or are they right in the Lord's eyes? He makes sure our decisions, the actions we take, the courses of our life, that we, the paths we go down, that they are right in the Lord's eyes. For in His eyes is what it ultimately matters if it's right. It needs to be right in the Lord's eyes. So some background. Uh, verse 3, notice it says, Bring again. Well, the Philistines had captured the ark at Shiloh. We see that in 1 Samuel 4. And they'd kept it for some months. And eventually, after some trouble, or lots of trouble, they returned it to Israel. And once again, the ark was returned to Israel. It stayed in Beth Shemesh and Kirjath Jerem for 100 years. It just stayed right there. Now, plans were being made to return it to Jerusalem by David and other leaders in Israel. But no consultation, as far as we can tell, was made to God. No prayer was made beseeching him to make sure this is exactly how he wanted us to do, when we wanted us to do it. Concerning this ark, as we can see, no one had apparently searched the scriptures for the direction and guidance on how this was to take place and how this was to be done in order to glorify God. So they had good motives. David had good motives of wanting to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He was concerned about returning religion to the forefront of his people. He had some good motives, some, some good thoughts, some good intentions behind what he was doing. He was concerned about his people's relationship with God. But in this instance, it seems he neglected his own relationship to God. Deuteronomy 38.18 says, Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. 
Now, do we sometimes, in just the busyness of life, in an effort to do good things for God, to do good works for God, do we sometimes forget God a little bit? Does his, does his importance sometimes come down a little bit? We've got a big plan, a big schedule, a big to-do list for that day. And so instead of giving ourselves that hour or so in the morning just to dig into his word, we're like, I can get by 15 minutes today and I can move on and, and get so much more stuff done. But then usually I find as I reflect on a day that I've done that, I've got a whole lot less done than if I would have just stuck with my time I had devoted to God and just studied and done like I'd planned on doing. It seems like the more we try to do good works, but at the sacrifice of that time with the Lord or that relationship with the Lord, the less effective and less efficient we are. So David seems like he neglected that relationship a little bit here. And sometimes do we do that? Sometimes I think we do. So we need to make sure and determine that we will not be neglectful of the things of God. Not, don't forget our salvation, Lord. Always be mindful of our Savior and what he has done for us. Don't forget to pray about decisions you, you make, the things you do for the Lord. Don't forget to search the scriptures for wisdom, for his guidance, and for his direction. Do we, like David, just get so busy sometimes? That just kind of gets put off a little bit. That relationship with the Lord gets, gets put off a little bit. We're working hard at doing things for him, but maybe we're not working hard at developing that relationship with him. We don't have our, our relationship is anchored with him, not necessarily in him, but in our works for him or in the things we're doing for him. When our relationship just needs to be anchored in him. Hebrews 6, 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Christ, Jesus is that hope. He's that anchor. And I'm so thankful he is my anchor. I'm so thankful I'm anchored in the Lord. I'm so thankful I have that relationship. I'm saved. I'm anchored in the Lord. You're anchored in the Lord. You can, you can only drift so far for the Holy Spirit starts telling you, hey, let's bring it back. I'm so thankful that I have that anchor. Are we anchoring our decisions in the Lord or maybe our decisions in our own wisdom? So during the period of the judges, the ark of the Lord had been captured and carried away by the Philistines. Because of the possession, the ark caused them nothing but trouble. They placed them in the cart and sent it back. So from that time on, it remained at the house of Abinadab at kirjath Jerem. Now here in chapter 13 of Chronicles, David is attempting to bring the ark back to his capital city of Jerusalem. David and the other leaders of Israel had decided to do a good thing for the Lord, to do a good thing for their people. But they did not exactly make that decision in the right way or go about the execution of that decision in the right way either. From what we can read, they did not seek the Lord out about it. They did not pray about it. But they and the people suffered many consequences because of this, because of the process that they didn't do right for the glory and honor of God. So we need to make always make sure that the Lord is at the forefront of all we do for Him. We need to make Him at the forefront of our life. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Looking at our passage, it seems like David sought first to consult with the captains, consult with the leaders. I don't see anywhere where he at first consulted with the Lord. He consulted first with the captains, leaders, others around him. But I can't find where he consulted with the Lord. Where the, Jesus tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God. When we seek him first, everything else seems to line up correctly in the right order, in the right priority. And everything will go a lot better 
We have that good work we want to do for the Lord. Seek Him first to make sure it's the right time, it's the right place. We're doing it in the right way. Seek the Lord first. So first off, our first point, who did David consult? Did David inquire of the Lord like he had many times past? Does 1 Chronicles 13, 1 say, And David inquired of the Lord, and then after the Lord directed, he went about to bring the ark to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. What it says is, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. I think this story or this account would have been a lot better if it started off, David inquired of the Lord, how do you want me to bring your ark back to Jerusalem? When do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? But it starts out with David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Where was God during this time of consultation? Where was God while David was making this momentous decision? David consulted with every leader or person he could find to get advice from, but he left someone very important out of the picture, out of the equation. He did not ask God. Proverbs 8, 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. David, you could say, made this decision half right, for the Bible does tell us in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. But David did not consult or pray to the Lord for guidance, direction, and timing in this endeavor he undertook. He neglected the most important thing about decision-making, that's seeking out the Lord before he made that decision. So he was half right. He did this half right. But being half right is just another way of saying you're completely wrong. He did things his way. He did consult the multitude of counselors, but it seems like he neglected the Lord and neglected the Lord's word. So whose eyes is it right in? David's action at this time and the decision he made was pleasing to himself. It was pleasing to other leaders. It was pleasing to the people. But his action in this instance and the way he went about it was not pleasing to God. 1 John 3, tells us we need to always do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to in his sight. We need to always seek to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Our decisions we make, things we do, the way we act, the priorities we have, the, 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 the way we go about our to-do list, the way we conduct ourselves during the day. Are we seeking to please God with all of that? Are we putting him first? Are we seeking him first? Are we seeking to please him first? Seeking to please him with everything we do. Now apply what David did in this situation, we need, let's apply that to our own life. How often do we talk with friends, we talk with family, we talk with trusted advisors, we kind of brainstorm our mind all day long about a problem situation, but then we don't actually take it to the Lord, or we go to Him last. We need to get our direction and guidance from the Lord first. His will and His word should take preeminence in our life. Not our will, not our friend's will, but his word needs to take the preeminence. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So we have, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. We need, we need to seek the Lord first. We need to please him in everything we do. He's supposed to have the preeminence in everything we do. And in David's situation, I didn't see him seeking God first. I didn't see him wanting to make, he wanted to please God, but he went about it a, a different way, a wrong way, or a way where he didn't put the Lord first. The Lord didn't have preeminence. So are we seeking the Lord first? 
Are we seeking to please the Lord? And are we giving him the preeminence in our life? Now, I wanted to point out some examples of David's history because he had a great history about seeking the Lord out about decisions. 1 Samuel 23, 2 says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord. 1 Samuel 23, 4, Then David inquired of the Lord. 1 Samuel 38, And David inquired at the Lord. 2 Samuel 2, 1, David inquired of the Lord. 2 Samuel 5, 19, David inquired of the Lord. 2 Samuel 5, 23, And when David inquired of the Lord. And 2 Samuel 21, 1, David inquired of the Lord. But then we go to 1 Chronicles 13, David consulted with the captains. That inquiring of the Lord was not there. In every one of these instances, except we find here in our, our text, 1 Chronicles 13, but every one of these instances I just mentioned, when he had a big decision, or a big heartache, or he needed comfort, or a struggle he's going through, in each of those instances, the Bible tells us he inquired of the Lord. He received direction, he received that answer to the prayer he needed, but this time, he did not inquire with the Lord. He consulted with the captains. And the end result was not good. The end result of this bad decision was failure, was heartache, discouragement, and even death. When we go out and do something or make a major decision in life without praying to the Lord first about it, we risk ruin. We risk destruction or worse. We need to always make sure we have prayed and sought the Lord about every major decision in our life need to follow David's usual example about seeking the Lord out, inquiring of the Lord, and not this particular bad example we're examining here tonight. The Lord will not fail you when you pray. Inquire of the Lord for direction in your life. He will answer you in his timing. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So next, whose eyes was it right in? The actions we take or decisions we make, are they right in the Lord's eyes? Are we going to him first? Does he have the preeminence? Are we seeking to please him with those actions, those decisions? Or are we just seeking to make sure they're right in our eyes? First Chronicles 13, 4. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Not the Lord, all the people. We need to take our time and make sure decisions are right in the eyes of the Lord. We need to be concerned with doing things right for the Lord and doing things right by the Lord in our life. Some steps I wrote down to consider when making decisions or navigating problems. I think i got five written down here. First, do not trust exclusively in your own wisdom in making decisions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You need to acknowledge the Lord who are making that decision, going through that difficulty. Acknowledge him. Give him the preeminence. Seek to please him. Go to him first. You need to turn to the Lord, our Heavenly Father, for that instruction and guidance. And the second one, turn your problems over to him. He will never leave you alone in your cares. Hebrews 13, 5, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I don't know how many times I've gone to that one. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. But I've felt like everything else or everybody else has left me or forsaken me. I don't know how many times I've turned to Hebrews 13, 5. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's a great verse. The Lord will always be there for you. If you are a Christian, you're never really, truly alone. 
Next, learn to anchor all your decisions and concerns in the Lord. Learn to fully anchor decisions and carefully anchor them in the Lord and His Word. And always consult the Lord on big decisions in our life. David doesn't seem like he consulted the Lord in 1 Chronicles 13. And he made a major decision and it ended in a bad result. Next, do the right thing David did in this instance. He did, remember, he did half right. Do that, at least that part of what David did in this instance. Seek the multitude of counselors. But make sure you have primarily sought the Lord. He has the preeminence in this process of that decision or that, that thing you're considering doing. Do not just seek out a multitude of counselors, but seek out the Lord first. Give Him the preeminence in that process. And finally, make sure you're confident that it is right in the Lord's eyes before you make that decision or you take that action. Proverbs 3.26 For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. So make sure you have the confidence that the Lord is directing you and guiding you to do that. Now our next point is a right thing. They were trying to do a right thing. Verse 6 says, And David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord. They were wanting to bring the ark of the Lord. They were wanting to bring it up. They were trying to do a right thing. When David was attempting to do this, what he was attempting to do was a good thing. It was a right thing to do if he would have just have done it in God's way and in God's timing. So many things we do can be considered a good thing, but only if it does not contradict God's word or God's timing or God's will on the matter. We need to be careful that we don't go about doing good things for the Lord and neglect the Lord. Neglect our devotional life, neglect our prayer life. We need to take care of our relationship with the Lord. And always make sure you bathe any big decision with genuine and authentic prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Don't just pray, Lord, help me make this right decision and never mention it again. Bathe it in prayer. Deeply pray about it over and over again. Seek Him out early. Seek Him out often about these decisions. Make sure you're following His will. Make sure relation, your relationship with the Lord is solid. It's anchored in Him before you make those big decisions or take those actions. You may be busy doing right things for the Lord. We can all get busy doing right things for God. But we could be so busy that we're doing them in the flesh and not the spirit. We need to make sure we're doing the things we do for the Lord in the spirit. So they were doing a right thing. But our next point is a right thing in a wrong way. Verse 7. And they carried the ark of God and a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. Now, God had given very detailed directions on how to transport the ark. Other parts of the tabernacle could be carried on carts, but not the ark. Numbers 4.15 says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle, of the congregation. So God gave very detailed directions on how this transportation of the ark was to be done. In the commentary I was reading, it says this statement about the directions given on how the ark was to be carried. It says, This stern denunciation was designed to inspire a sentiment of deep and habitual reverence in the minds of those who were officially engaged about holy things. We too need to have that deep respect, that reverence about the things of the Lord. About the preaching of his word, about the teaching of his word, about reading his word. 
Now, the ark was never to be carried in a cart, but was to be borne on the shoulders of the sons of Kohath. Why is this? Well, because the ark speaks of Christ, and the gospel of Christ is to be carried by us Christians to the rest of the world. Mark 13.10, And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Giving out the gospel is an individual responsibility of every Christian. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. There should be no shortcuts taken in giving out the gospel of Christ to that needy world. If we are doing something for Christ, it should be done in a top-notch, giving it our all, kind of way. We should seek to do it the, the, to the highest standard we possibly can, that we are able to do it to, and our best, and giving it our all, and our, our greatest effort to give out that gospel, and do the work for Him. Taking God's word out to the world is not an easy thing all the time. It does require some hard work. It requires dedication to doing it God's way, and not our way. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove, they may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Each Christian needs to do their part and not leave their part up to someone else to do in addition to their part. We're all part of the body of Christ. If the hand isn't doing the hand's responsibility, the, the other hand's going to have to pick that up or the leg's going to have to try to take care of that. So we all need to be doing our responsibility, our part in getting the gospel, of doing the work of Christ in the world. If one part of the body isn't doing their part, it makes all the rest of the body have to work that much harder. Then things start not work right, not function right. Things don't get done right. Because all of us aren't doing our part in working together for Christ. The Apostle Paul says, For every man shall bear his own burden in Galatians 6, 5. Make sure you're bearing your own burden in the body of Christ. Don't make someone else do that extra work on your behalf because you don't care to do your part for Christ. Someone said, All of us have to put our shoulders to the wheel to get the word of God out to a world that desperately needs it. God doesn't write the gospel in the sky. It has to be passed along by his children. Are we doing our part to pass along the gospel? To take that gospel to those that need it. Our next point. Doing things our own way and not God's way leads to failure, displeasure, and can lead to death. First Chronicles 13, 9-10. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Now remember in Numbers 4.15 we read, But they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. So there was a reason for that. They were warned about that. Keep in mind that good intentions do not justify bad actions. The end does not justify the means. So why was Uzzah killed? Because they were transporting the ark their way instead of doing it God's way. Numbers 4.15 again. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Uzzah interfered with what was happening. He directly disobeyed God's word on the matter. We should never interfere and cause a hindrance to the Lord's work. Another example of not going by what the Lord told you to do is in Numbers 
chapter 20, verses 7 to 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord. As he commanded him, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. Uzzah disobeyed God's direction. I do not touch it. The sons of Kohath were to carry it. Do not touch the ark. He was struck dead. Moses didn't get the rock, the water out of the rock the way the Lord directed him to do. Told him to do it. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, and he had consequences as well to that too. So Moses in this passage didn't go at what the Lord told him to do. He disobeyed God. And because of that, the Lord would not let him into the promised land. Let the death of Uzzah teach us something about being irreverent or disrespectful to the things of God. God is a holy God. God's word is holy. God's house is holy. Everything about God is holy and is to be treated with the utmost respect and reverence. 1 Peter 1, 15-16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or our lifestyle. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. When God's word is being taught, we should, we should seek to be respectful and honor the, the teaching and preaching of his word. Psalm 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship him at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. When people are requesting prayer, we need to listen to those prayer requests and actually pray for those prayer requests. Jude 20, but, be, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith... Praying in the Holy Ghost. And then when God's word is being read, we should be silent. We should be irreverently. We should be listening to that word being read intently. Romans seven twelve. Wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. God's word is holy. We need to have that respect, that reverence to his word. That respect and reverence to God. The things of God. The things he tells us to do in his word. Our way can lead to failure. We learn from this account that doing things our way and not anchoring our decisions in the Lord and, and his way can bring displeasure. Verse 11, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. When we fail at doing something our way instead of God's way, we often for some reason tend to blame God. Even though we didn't do it his way, we didn't really consult him that much, we didn't really pray about it that much. But it didn't work out, so it can't be my fault. It's got to be the Lord's fault. He didn't do what I, I counted on him to do. But we didn't seek him first. We didn't give him the preeminence. We didn't seek to please him with our actions. We didn't follow his word. We didn't do any of our part, but yet we expect him to do everything for us. So sometimes when we fail doing things our way, we blame God. First Chronicles thirteen twelve, and David was afraid of God that day. Saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Went from being displeased to having fear. David asked, how am I going to do this for you, God? Well, if David had just done it God's way in the first place, sought God first, 
sought to please God first, gave God the preeminence, all this wouldn't have happened. This heartache, this displeasure, this, this concern, this fear, all this would have happened, this discouragement wouldn't have happened if David would have sought the Lord out first. So, application. How do we apply this to our life, this account to our life? I wrote down several applications from this, from this Bible truth, First Chronicles 13, how we can kind of apply this to our own life. Number one, good intentions do not keep us from falling into serious sin. This account in Scripture illustrates for us that it is possible to act with good intentions and still fall into serious sin. David's intention in bringing the ark from kirjath Jerem was to honor God by bringing the symbol of his presence to the heart of his kingdom. He wanted to show that the years of neglect under Saul were over. We're under new management now. I'm going to do things right. I'm going to do things for the Lord. But he forgot to inquire of the Lord. He forgot just because something sounds like a good thing to do does not mean it's something God wants us to do or wants us to do at that moment. He forgot to consult God, to rely on God's wisdom. Instead, he relied on man's wisdom. So good intentions do not keep us from falling into serious sin. Second one, God's word is to be read and consulted. God had previously shown that the ark was a symbol of his presence and was not to be handled casually. It was to be carried by the sons of Kohath on poles, but in his enthusiasm, David forgot these commands and omitted to consult the word of God for guidance and instruction. God was not impressed by his enthusiasm. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. They had great enthusiasm. They're doing this great good thing. They thought, they're, this, everything is great about this. We're so enthusiastic about this. However, God was not impressed with their enthusiasm. They needed to have done it God's way. Sought Him first. Put Him first. Given Him the preeminence. doesn't matter how enthusiastically we do something. If it's not what God wants us to do, God's not really that impressed with it. We need to do what God wants us to do His way when He wants us to do so God was not impressed with David's enthusiasm. God was, however, angered at David's carelessness. The ark had been manhandled onto an ox cart and was being transported in just the same way that had been by the heathen Philistines. For all of David's enthusiasm, he was sincerely wrong and misguided in his actions and decisions. He had not searched the scriptures for direction in serving God. Well, the following I'm going to read you is a, it's a lengthy quote from a commentary I was studying on this passage. I think it shines great light and clarity on this passage and just kind of helps us understand it a lot better. So I'm going to read it to you now. It starts off, To some people, God's wrath in this chapter may appear petty and vindictive. That is because we do not truly understand the nature of God's holiness. He does nothing without good reason, and all of his commands are governed by his righteousness. So when God issues a command, there are compelling reasons that lie behind it. How the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported was not a trivial matter because God had taken the trouble to show that there was a way that was acceptable to him. Any other way was not, therefore, acceptable to God, and it was not for his people to improve upon God's laws. When we question the details of God's commands, we question his goodness and wisdom. Similarly, when we ignore God's instruction, we treat him as one of the many false gods one who must stand trial before the court of human judgment. So they thought they could do this in a different way. They didn't consult, apparently didn't consult God's word and did things their way, even though they thought it was the right thing 
But God's word said, no, you do it this way. And they did things their way, and it resulted in disaster. So number three, God's word is to be followed. God's word is not only to be read and consulted, God's word is to be followed. David learned an important lesson from the death of Uzzah, and all that took place here. The word of the Lord is to be the rule of our life in our worship. The word of the Lord is to be the rule of our life in our worship. Neither good intentions or our hard or fallen example of others is any excuse to doing anything contrary to the word of God in our life and worship. Number four, anger can lead to resentment. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Well, the Lord did exactly what he said he was going to do. They consulted his word. But David was displeased. When people suffer, they sometimes direct their anger against God. They may ask such questions. Why has God made me suffer so? How can, he, how can he be good and still allow this? How can he expect me to trust him now? And such anger is just a distraction from the real issue presented by these tragic events in this chapter like the death of Uzzah. There is not one of us in this world who is not a sinner and who does not deserve to suffer eternally for the rest of our life. We all, that's what we deserve. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve that. Anything else we get instead of that is just the mercy and love of God. So by confronting us with this fact, God warns us to seek his mercy now. He shows us that unless we repent of our sins, we shall all perish. Luke 13, 5. Repentance and not resentment is our only appropriate response when God chastises us. Revelation three nineteen: as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Number five, fear can lead to retreat. Because of the terrible shock he had received, David sought to hide from God for a time. Following a pattern of sinful behavior that Adam and Eve had established just after the first sin in Genesis 3.8. David asked, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? David put the ark in the home of Obed-Edom rather than continuing to try to bring it to Jerusalem. Rather than turn to God asking, how, how did we go astray? How, what, what would you have us done differently? What should we have done differently? Rather, repenting, returning, going to God saying, what did we do wrong? Show us. He just put it aside, put it in the home of Obed-Edom. David took the ark aside for a time being and just returned home. In this, he was like Peter. When Peter pleaded with the Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord, Luke 5, 8. Number six, retreat can lead to loss of blessing. As a result of leaving the ark behind, David forfeited blessing that could have been his. As a result of us possibly saying, Lord, I, didn't, I don't understand why this happened. I don't agree with this, Lord. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to trust you for a while. I'm just going to put you to the side, and I'm going to go live my own life for a while. We're forfeiting all the blessing that the Lord wanted to give us during that time. All that blessing is forfeited the Lord wanted to give us during that time. So David forfeited blessing. Instead of enjoying the, enjoying the blessing that accompanies God's presence, and, being, and that blessing was instead enjoyed by Obed-Edom and his family. It says in verse 14, And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. With the presence of the Lord in our life comes blessing. Don't let good intentions, not grounded in God's will, not grounded in his word, keep the blessings from coming into our life. Don't let neglect the word of God. Don't, don't let a neglect of the word of God keep you from getting blessings. Don't let anger, don't let resentment keep you from God's blessings. And don't let fear keep you from God's blessings. So, in conclusion, whose eyes was David's decision to bring the ark 
to Jerusalem riding. This passage tells us it was right in the people's eyes, the captain's eyes, in David's eyes, but it wasn't right in the Lord's eyes, not at this time. David should have been more concerned about anchoring this decision in the Lord and making sure it was right in the Lord's eyes most of all, instead of being so overly concerned about it's right with my friends, these captains, these leaders, the people are all behind this, let's do this. He should have inquired of the Lord like he did time and time again. Said so in this chapter, we see he consulted with the captains. All the heartache and the problems that resulted from not anchoring this decision in the Lord would have all been avoided if David would have simply brought it to the Lord first in sincere and authentic prayer and waited on the Lord for the answer. Waited on the Lord for his timing and his way. Psalm 27 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We make sure when we're making that decision, taking that action, doing that action in our life, that we're doing it as right in God's eyes. Not just pleasing in our eyes. Let God have the preeminence. Seek to please God. Make sure it's right in God's eyes. Not just our eyes or our family's eyes or our friend's eyes. Make sure we're anchoring those decisions in Him. If we do something our way, leaving God out of the picture, it can lead to failure. It can lead to disappointment. It can lead to regret, loss of blessing, maybe even death. But God's way leads to peace, leads to joy, leads to victory, and leads to life eternal with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.